Hello, welcome to Eagle Tales, a podcast from the Central High School Foundation, keeping you connected to the nest through storytelling and original interviews. I'm your host, Josh Busey. Before we get started, though, a little bit about the foundation. We were established in 1996 to support present and future Central students. And today we are even more committed to preserving the values of a Central High School education. The foundation supports the school through many activities, like building relationships with alumni, fundraising, student scholarships, teacher classroom grants, and a lot more. We are proud of the accomplishments that our students, staff, and 35,000 alumni achieve every day. Your patronage not only supports Central, but also strengthens Eagle Nation. Visit our website to learn more at chsfomaha.org. It is my honor to introduce our guest for episode 16 of Eagle Tales. Class of 1974 alumna Susan Bredding is our guest today. Sue has worked as an Emmy award-winning reporter and anchor in some of the nation's largest TV markets. In Phoenix, she won three regional Emmy awards, a UNL journalism award, and was honored by Arizona's governor for outstanding service to the community. She then moved to Los Angeles, where assignments ranged from covering disasters to interviews with A-list celebrities such as Taylor Swift, Tom Hanks, and George Clooney. She is now the communications director in Glendale, Arizona, and serves on the board of trustees for the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences, the governing body for the Emmy Awards. Sue, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Josh. So I always like to start every episode out by giving our guests an opportunity to introduce themselves. And I know that your journey to Central is a little bit different because you didn't grow up in Omaha. So tell us how you came to be in Omaha. I came to be in Omaha. I was born and raised in the greater Los Angeles area. And the name of the street that I grew up (laughs) on was Grove Center. It was in the middle of an orange grove. And it was a newer community of track homes. And it was 95% Caucasian. And my mom left my dad when I was 15, put her five kids, I was the oldest of five kids, put us in her station wagon with the Dalmatian dog and drove to Omaha where we would live. My grandma and grandpa were in Plattsmouth. That's where my mom grew up. So we spent summers there and we were very familiar with that. So she enrolled me in Central and I remember what she said, it is a college preparatory Mm -hmm. school. And it was it was difficult moving at that age and my family situation. A lot of changes. Yes. Yeah. But I remember uh, she's really tough. She she just said, Bloom where you're planted. This is a college preparatory school. You know, now go kind of. She didn't say that, but <laughs> kind of that. And that's how I got to Central. So sophomore, junior, senior year, obviously, I was there and It was amazing walking in the first, I mean, first of all, the building itself is phenomenal and the floor, the lockers, the, you know, the archways around the doors, everything is so beautiful, but really, truly the diversity, the students, the ethnic background of the students, I'm not sure, but I felt like I might've been a minority or close and I loved that Mm -hmm. a lot. So that was how I got to Central. I think it's just so fascinating because we will have guests on the show who they've lived in Omaha their entire lives or, you know, they went kind of through the Omaha public school system and Central was maybe either the school that their family members went to or they were familiar with the school in other ways and always knew they wanted to go there. So it's, it's interesting to hear your story and how you arrived there. You have brothers and sisters. Did any of them go to Central as well? Um, yes, my, my brother, two years younger than me, went to Central. And then my sister, I think, went one year. And then my mom did end up moving back to California. I went on to to UNL um, for college. And so when I was in college, they moved back. But um, the two of them did did go as well. What do you remember about your time at Central activities, uh, maybe teachers that had an impact on you? You were telling me earlier you did swim team at Central. I was on the swim team, right. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. 
I think coming from California, I, I was a swimmer and I was on a swim team there, a competitive swim team. So immediately I looked for the swim team and that's where I met girlfriends that stayed with me. We, we ended up, you know, they were the ones who, who said, um, we're going to college, we're going to UNL. And I think that they inspired me to then want to go to UNL. So I swam on the swim team. I think you were hearing me tell the story that there was a synchronized swim team at Creighton at that time. I don't know why they wanted some high school girls to go to the college, but one of them, one of these girlfriends of mine, learned about the synchronized swim team. So we would walk down there and and learn synchronized swim in that old (laughs) pool that Creighton (laughs) had. And so that was really different. One of the priests taught it, and I really like that as well. A little bit different than the competitive, you know, swimming <laughs> laps or whatever. The synchronized right. swimming would have been a different animal to try to take on. It was different, <laughs> yes. Teacher-wise, Mrs. DeSacco was the gym teacher, and this is a little bit of a personal story. So I also had extensive dance background in California, and I had been a cheerleader, and so when we moved, I really wanted to be an eaglet more um, than anything. I wanted to be an eaglet. And the day before the tryouts, they said the coat would be, I kind of remember $60. I was talking to uh, <laughs> someone else that it was, and she said, I think it was 75 and we didn't have that kind of money, but they yeah, told us expensive. how much the coat would be. We, I, we didn't have that money. So I did not try out. But Mrs. DeSacco, who also oversaw the Eagleettes, found me the next day somewhere just in the hall. And she, she sought me out and mm-hmm. she saw me in the hall and she said, why did you not try out? And I didn't answer her. I, I didn't give her, you know, the truthful answer that we didn't have the money. I was the oldest of five kids, so I was taking care of my brothers and sisters after school my mom opened a store selling fabric and teaching sewing lessons. So I worked in her store. I took care of my brothers and sisters. I did the swim team. Really, I would never have had a ride to games or anything. So, but that made an impact on me. While well, that was sad, that had an impact that mm-hmm. a teacher cared and that I always thought, hmm, if I did try out, I probably would have made the squad, mm-hmm. the fact that she was looking for me too. Mm-hmm. But anyway, what a great teacher she was. and um, A Hall of Fame inductee as well. Oh, is she really? Mm-hmm. Oh, so well deserved. Yeah. Yes. Graduate from Central. Yes. And I think it's worth touching on this. Um, you talked about it in a classroom visit during your Hall of Fame weekend, this, this weekend. You didn't actually participate in the register or any journalism classes when you were at Central. Talk about when you were at UNL, how you ended up on that journalism track, not right away, but a little bit later on. Correct. I I was an education major. I was going to be a high school English teacher. So I was working towards my degree to be a teacher. And uh, again, bring up my family again, but the uh, when they moved back to California, that summer, I think it was my junior year, I decided I would take a sports broadcasting class at UCLA just for fun. And I took that and there was someone in that class who was an advisor who had worked in television in the San Francisco market. So we did our projects all summer long and I I was a student within the class at the very end, she took me aside and said, you have a natural talent for this. And you're, you're a great storyteller. And mm. you have a natural talent for this. Did you ever think of being a broadcaster? So it, at that time, too, women, it was more of a male-dominated field, 100%. Mm-hmm. But it was beginning. You were beginning to see women. And so... I thought about it and I immediately thought, wow, that is what I would like to do. This has been fun. And I went back and I worked with UNL and 
they added a second major of broadcast journalism onto my English degree. I did all my student teaching. So I actually have two. I have a dual major. So uh, I never look back. Uh, you know, I just, I worked really hard in small television markets um, to become a broadcaster. And I just think of the influence and kindness of that one person, that mm-hmm. five-minute conversation changed they my life. They saw something in you. Yeah, it changed my life. Totally, yeah. Taking a step back for a second, the style book when you were at Central, do you remember going through the style book? Yes. English lovers love the style book at Central because of all the little grammatical yes. notations. I was just curious if that had an impact on your English writing style at all when you were writing at Central or in college. Did you feel like Central adequately prepared you for writing in college? It gives you a standard of excellence that you and a foundation that you then know that this is what's expected. And, you know, whatever style it is that now in the job that I have um, as communications director for City of Glendale, we do our press releases in AP style. Yeah. So it's the understanding that there are, expe- it, from, you know, as a young teen, I learned there are expectations. You've got to learn that. Being sloppy is not going to count. It was very strict, and I think um, <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> so We've heard stories of, yeah, the, the quality of the English teacher, all the teachers at Central, oh, but yes. yeah, very rigorous and um, not uncommon for people to say that the classes they took at Central gave them a, a leg up against their peers in college. They felt like they were more prepared, for sure. Correct. The literature we were reading, the you know, the history we were learning, the we were in, there, there was a business class there, you know, I, it was all really exceptional. So it's my understanding that you worked at KCU Channel 9 in Sioux City. Was that your first job after graduation or where did you go after you graduated from UNL? I went from UNL to Sioux City, Iowa, and I worked there a year man doing everything. (laughs) Um, You know, I would run the studio camera, but then I'd also, they'd send me out on assignment as a reporter. So, you know, I did a few odd jobs as you do in a small, or you did at that time at a small television market. And then they had a sister station where they needed someone who could do a combination reporting, anchoring weather sometimes. So, I went to the sister station in Wausau, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and I was there. And they're, they're very similar market size, still smaller market. You learn a lot, and you can um, you understand the cadence of of how news works, and you get very used to the rigorous deadlines and the deadlines that you're trying to meet, and what it's like working as part of a team with mm-hmm. a videographer. You know, and writing and writing your story quick enough that the editor can get it, that they can get it on the air in time. Like you learn all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I learned all of that. And then I was offered a job in Des Moines, Iowa, which I loved because it was an election year and that's a capital city. And, you know, all of a sudden I was in a whole different arena and that was WHO and it was a great station. And I think I was the weekend anchor and a reporter and I love that year. So yeah, I was going to ask if yes. you had at that time, if you had your choice, would you have rather been out in the field covering a story? Would you have rather been at the anchor desk? Was there a particular focus or interest in topic wise that you wanted to cover? Talk a little bit about that during that time. That's an excellent question. Because remember when I told you I, um, <laughs> I had taken the sports broadcasting class and then I went to the university offices and said, well, now I'd like to be a news reporter. You know, I know I'm almost done with school, but I'd really like to be a news reporter. And they asked me right then the question, do you want to be a performer or do you mm. want to be a journalist? Which do you want to be? Because this is the time to choose because it's not going to be easy. You're uh-huh. going to have to add a, you're going to have to take the maximum credit hours. You're going to have to work really hard, but decide right now. Oh. And I did. I said, no, no, I want to be a, a reporter, a storyteller. Mm. And I would, I would put it in that. Being a reporter is a storyteller. You're writing your stories. 
people may not realize that, you know, the reporters are writing their stories. They're doing their own interviews. When you're an anchor, it's a little bit different. You're reading. You're reading mm-hmm. oftentimes what someone else has given you. And um, that's a great career path for some. But for me, it always was about the storytelling. I've been, I was fortunate enough to have a mix of both, that I had anchor, anchor reporting opportunities at, at the same time. Um, I never was just only an anchor. I always was maybe the weekend anchor, but they always wanted to have me out on the street because mm-hmm. I, you know, I was someone who could cover a story, get my story in on time, work well with a team, find what is needed um, to find regarding the facts and who I'm going to interview. There's a lot that happens during the day when you're a broadcast reporter that it's hard work. It's not that glamorous. And then mm-hmm. you will be on the air and then you have to make it look, you know, like it, it, it's just very glamorous and you're, you're presenting something. So all along the way, I always loved the reporting so much. You touched a little bit on it earlier in the regard that that time period, there was kind of a, a push, a transition to include more women journalists more diversity in general in newsrooms. How how did you go about kind of handling yourself? How were you able to kind of take on that challenge, I guess? Because I'm sure it was a somewhat difficult task trying to become comfortable in an environment like that. I think all I ever thought about was just every single day just being the best I possibly could and having them look beyond my gender mm. to okay, these are the assignments, who's the best reporter for that story? And day after day, I would just think, you know, hopefully they'll choose me for that. And that's that was true for me. Um, you know, in, in every market that I worked in, um, I ended up having, thank goodness, um, news directors who judged me on my ability, not my gender, now, pay equity-wise, I'm not sure. Mm. There was uh, a male anchor that was brought in at one of my jobs where I think he ended up, like they ended up paying him more than me. So pay-wise, I think there mm. wasn't equity. Job-wise, I always just did the best I could and, and made sure that they wouldn't forget that I was there and I could, could do the story. An industry like that, you're moving around somewhat regularly I'm sure that was a challenge as well. Kind of you would settle in one place and you'd have to uproot your life and move to another place. Did you always know that you wanted to go back to the like Pacific Southwest area? Right. It, yeah. Was there, question. was there a destination in mind that you hoped to end up at? There was, and maybe that's why I was able to, my goal all along, even when I was in Sioux city, even when I was in school, my goal was to get to Los Angeles, I always thought I want to be a news reporter mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. That's where I was born, and my, you know, that's where my family was, and and I never lost sight of that goal. And in the very beginning years, you are not making a lot of money as a journalist, and some of my friends were making a lot more than I was. Their careers were going a lot faster. I had a goal in mind. I. I knew there was nothing else that I wanted to do. I was passionate about it. And being passionate about it is important because you're right. I knew no one in Sioux City. I spent a year there. And you're immersed in your job, really. You work very long hours and sometimes weekends. And your social life becomes sort of your fellow newsroom uh, friends. (laughs) And then Wausau, I knew nobody. And so, again, just dove into my job. Same in Des Moines. Not everyone could do that. I look back and I think at that time, it, it was a career. It might still be a career. It's a very competitive career. It takes grit. It really takes grit that you have to just keep in mind, you know, have a belief in yourself and honestly, and believe that you have paid your dues and you have your foundation and you're ready for the next step. And you know, why not try the next step, the next market? Yeah, the belief in yourself, you're building right. relationships along the way as you're kind of progressing. And that's different than being not being humble. Mm-hmm. I think the people who know me would know me as a humble, kind, not super extrovert kind of person. 
that's different than believing in yourself. You know, again, just trying to figure out early enough, like what it is you're good at, what could you do? What could you provide the world that you feel like maybe no one else could really do that, but you could do that. And at the same time, you're passionate about it. And then at the same time, you're preparing yourself and get the foundation. I feel like that's how I was able to launch into, like after spending some time in Phoenix, to be able to go to LA. It's the combination of, I felt like this is what I can do. This is what I know. This is what I'm passionate about. And now this is what I'm prepared for. Like those three things intersected all at the same time. I'd imagine it's almost a, a competitive thing internally. Like you're trying to prove yourself that you're doing the best you can, but you're also competing against other reporters to get the story out there. Talk about the transition from Sioux City, such a small market to the second largest market in the United States. And <laughs> how, like, what was that like? I imagine maybe a little overwhelming or were you prepared going into it? You knew exactly what you were you were signing up for it it was not overwhelming i'm doing the, i'm telling stories the same way i had been you know for the decade before in phoenix i'm telling the same stories they're just bigger stories and bigger people that you would know you know world all of a sudden you know the president flies in town and you're assigned to go you know try to get an interview with him you're you you are then cast into being in a big city, the people are more nationally known. And then um, they sent me to some of the red carpet awards events too, um, which I really enjoyed, but I would be at that. And then the next day, maybe be on some major disaster, you know, leading the, or some horrible accident, you know, so mm -hmm. those are the same types of things I did in the smaller markets, it's just a bigger situation, and but it's still the same. Who am I going to interview? How am I going to start this story? What am I going to show? Going to show visually, um, because broadcasting is such a visual medium. During the day, I'm thinking through the same things that I had for many, many years before that. So, and it's exciting, and it was exciting for me because I would go by places that you know i i had driven by on my way to dance lessons or i had driven by on the way to the the doctor and i was back as a storyteller in my own element in a yeah. big city where i had lived i forgot to tell one thing that people might think is kind of interesting is my dad worked at the la times oh. my dad um he was in the business side he was the wage and salary administrator but as a young girl, he would take me there. Well, on my birthday, he, I would be able to visit the LA Times and he would give me the template for the paper or the paper with my birthday on it on the front no, of that's the LA cool. Times. How cool is that? Yeah. And, and it made a big impact on me. But then he would take me to the cafeteria and we would sit there. And I'm, you know, this is seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. So being in the cafeteria, what I remember is it was bustling and very exciting. And he, I remember clearly him saying, see those, uh, those people over there, those men over there, those are reporters, oh, those are yeah. news reporters. So I remember that. And I remember being in that building, this gorgeous art deco building in the big globe. I do think that that maybe subtly had some, some yeah, some kind of, of impact. Yeah. Journalism being like reporters being, wow, you know, mm -hmm. so that definitely did have an impact on me. I, I was so proud of him. And it's really cool that he took me to work sometimes. I mean, you just even as a parent, these are the things that you may think it's a simple thing. I'm taking my daughter to lunch. We're going to eat in the cafeteria. I'll get her the paper. Oh, I remember every second <laughs> of it and everything that he said and. That's pretty cool. I remember when you spoke to some students at a classroom earlier today that one of the things that struck me was that in a larger market, you might have a story in mind and then you might have to drop everything for some breaking news story that happens right. on the other side of town. LA traffic, was that ever an issue for you? Oh, always, yes. So 
we would be given an assignment and we'd be in live trucks. You could go out to a county that's, you know, in the far south, like Orange County. And then all of a sudden there's a plane crash at, you know, the Burbank Airport. That story, whatever you're covering in Orange County, no longer really is is what they want covered. They want something <laughs> else. So you're going an hour to an hour and a half. So you're no longer in, you, you know, the, the travel time and just the deadline and the urgency. Yeah. Um, now that didn't happen every day because, of course, they had full crews. But some days it did. Or um, you were the best reporter for a certain assignment. So they would um, take you to something something else. I'm reminded of the movie or yeah, the movie Anchorman where they had do like some warm up, you know, words they say before they go on the air. Did you ever have a warm up routine before you went live uh, or even at the anchor desk? Anything kind of words you would say kind of run through to get get your mindset? No, Josh, I did not. (laughs) (laughs) I should have watched the movie and gotten tips about how to be Honestly, you know, you're more fo- focused that that feels a little bit like what I was talking about, like the performer, the show mm-hmm. performer. And um, honestly, you're just looking at the words and, and you're looking at your script. And a lot of times they come in last minute and you don't mm. get a lot of time to practice them. But, um, you know, you do have to look look presentable and it's good manners to get out to the set or on scene with your microphone in with plenty of time for them to do the audio test and everything so that you're not cutting it close so that your crew, I was always more thinking tech wise than I was of me prep wise. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to be in place. I want them to see that I'm there and more of those things than I was the, the warm up. So this is a pretty broad question, but I'd love to get your take on where journalism is headed. Because when you're taking classes, completely different atmosphere, profession than it is now. If you were a reporter or if you were going through classes right now, what would where do you see things going, I guess, with kind of mm-hmm. the profession of journalism and journalists? I don't have a crystal ball to know. But I think that you just always, I think the basics of storytelling, talking to someone, fact gathering, making sure your facts are accurate, picking what, if you're piecing together a story, picking what it is that you want them to say, what are your visuals that go with it? Those basics are still there, whether it's something that you're shooting on a a phone for a TikTok video that is maybe news oriented. Mm-hmm. I think it might be harder today because there are so many outlets. There were just a few <laughs> outlets and um, people would get their news at certain times. My parents would sit down and watch the news, be ready and watch the news and learn about what the weather was going to be like. And now people instantaneously are getting so much of their news just on their phone. So where I think it's headed is you still must be a good storyteller. You still must be able to understand what a story is or think of a creative idea for a story and still be able to tell it. I still read, I get in my, this is so old school, but I get in my driveway, the Wall Street Journal they have some of the best articles and there's something for me about holding the paper and looking at the paper and appreciating those reporters and those words. Mm-hmm. And man, they, they do long form, beautiful stories still. So even though there are ways to get your news faster and there are a million more outlets that are really great and appropriate for, for that, I think some of the older outlets that have been there a long time they're changing and they're offering more communication avenues for other people. I have kind of a, a segue I could do into what I do today that absolutely fits with that. So after working in news, I then landed a job doing communications for the city of Glendale, Arizona. It's a city in the greater Phoenix metropolitan area. They have the stadium there. So, you know, they, they had the Super Bowl this year. They, get bigger concerts. And so it's phenomenal working there. But I 
oversee the communications team and there's social media, there's the website, someone for the website, there are a couple of media relations specialists on my team, and there's a video team, and there's a gorgeous state-of-the-art broadcasting facility there. So I've been there for almost eight years, and it was about seven years ago that then I became the, you know, I, I oversaw the television operation. They were a cable television station. Mm. So it was the city channel 11 cable. They were doing great work and they had great people and they were doing great stories. And it went over um, channel 11, the cable station. And so when I, they had asked, well, in addition to, you know, what you're doing here, could you also, um, in case you didn't have enough going on manager? Yes. So I said, can I change it? <laughs> like there are so many, there are so many other avenues. So now every time there was a new position that was open, I would ask my boss, could we change it? Instead of having a studio operations person, could we have an MMJ, multimedia journalist, exactly like the news stations do? And this person will be able to take a laptop, go out, edit stories, report, be live on the scene of things. Not, not, we're more feature, you know, feature oriented. We don't go cover um, traffic accidents or anything, but um, you know, if there is, is something cool going on in the community or important. Kind of updating so, some terminology in the job description to make it more applicable. Absolutely. Probably a wider variety of applicants could apply right. with even a simple change like that. Right. So now we no longer, all of the positions that were studio positions have become more videographer editor and we feed our stories to social media, to the website. We send them out in, or the council members send them out in newsletters. The mayor does. So we, our distribution is much wider, but we're still doing some of the same things things. We just have a bigger distribution, but we still also put our longer stories that are appropriate on the cable station. So that's a little bit about what you're talking about. There still is something to be told. It's just done in different ways. So those who want something longer, they could still sit and watch it on cable television. But if you'd like to see the Instagram version of a video <laughs> we did, we shoot that vertical. If you want to see you know, something longer. We do specific stuff for Facebook or for YouTube. So, I mean, we're a small operation, certainly, but I think that answers your question of where it's going. It's constantly changing. There's nothing changing quicker than the way people get their information and their news. And that, while it is harder, that's not necessarily a bad thing. You mentioned the Super Bowl was in town. Talk to us about what your role was getting ready for the event during the event. What, what did you have to do for the Super Bowl? Sure. Glendale was the host city. And so for the city, I was in charge of the communications piece of that. You know, there certainly is, was someone overseeing public safety in the, and, uh, you know, fire, of course, and finance, many other departments. But I was overseeing the communications. And that, of course, meant that we planned, you know, and, and thinking about my team and what we do, I started a year ahead of time planning out what our website should look like and how I wanted a landing page within our website where if you go to City of Glendale, there would be a banner on the front, you know, want Super Bowl information, go here. And being a former journalist, I thought, what would be my dream as a journalist to have? And I um, started building a media kit, which mm -hmm. was would be for whether it's student journalists, it could have been, you know, journalists from Central who wanted to cover the Super Bowl, all the way up to network reporters. They could go there and they would find B-roll that they needed. They would find still photos of the city, of the stadium. My office is right across the street from the stadium. And so we had beautiful pictures of Pretty the Pretty great stadium. view. We had a uh, great view. So I thought everything, you know, fun facts about the area, what's the temperature. If you're a broadcaster, what would be some cool things that you could work into your story? And it was a one-stop shop. So I worked on that. I worked on building that and the, the website area itself so that it was ready. 
And when it was ready, we put a countdown clock on the front and uh, made it fancy. But we started planning videos as well, shorter videos, longer videos. So I'll, I'll tell you about two videos that we did because they you were asking me how long. These took us, uh, me and my team, my amazing team, several months to put together. So one we wanted to do was Glendale's game plan. And it was a video series about everything that people that a city does mm-hmm. to get ready for See, when I think you that's host interesting. A Super Bowl. Yeah. Right. What does a city do? You know, what are they doing at the airport? We, you know, did extra landscaping. The city did extra landscaping around that area, made sure all the roads were paved very nice. You know, we had someone who, a team, that professional team that inspected the bleachers. You know, a city has a role when a city is part of a bid for something like that. You agree to have a role. So we did a several-part series on that, Glendale's game plan, and it had breakaway parts so that every part, so it could run as one long piece but it had breakaway, like we could break away the economic development piece of it or the public safety piece of it. And you could watch just those if if you so wanted to. Okay, the other one was a know before you go video. I have found that when we put, uh, here's what you need to know before you go for any big concert or event in Glendale that's coming to our arena or our stadium, that people now want to know where to park. What kind of bags do you need to take? What time do the doors open? Um, What other activities are there? It's in a greater sports and entertainment district, and there are some businesses that sometimes offer cool, fun things. So I produce with my team a 10-minute know-before-you-go video, and I wanted a a well-known host for it. So Larry Fitzgerald was a, a very popular um, Cardinals player in the Arizona area, and he um, is now an ESPN commentator, and he was my dream that I wanted to be able to host it because I didn't want the video to just, you know, live kind of in Phoenix. I wanted it to be shared and, and go out. So through relationship building, and I also served volunteer on the Super Bowl host committee on their communications team. That's the committee that works directly with the NFL and so through relationships, I was able to get Larry Fitzgerald at no charge to, um, I had 20 minutes and I had to have a script. You know, he did a lot of the ins and out introductions for that. So that was, that was really good. Both of those are currently nominated for regional Emmys, which it really just show you, I, I'm really proud of the standard because regional means, you know, all the, all that Southwest area. It just it makes me really proud that the standard of excellence of what it is that we do is meeting that. So that's in November. We'll find out if we get a regional Emmy for that. But I mean, really, everything about me, I feel like started at Central High School and that excellence and that standard of excellence. I always I always think of that. So that was one thing with, with Super Bowl. One more thing I told you about the longer videos. And then yeah. um, we also did. Every single day for the week before the Super Bowl, our videographers were out getting a whole bunch of video. There's so many activities that go on and that happen in the greater region. And they got video of absolutely everything going on. And then I hired a freelance editor to edit overnight and have that ready the next morning. And it was always a short minute and a half, quick, fast edit compilation. And we did one vertical version and one horizontal version and so we put those out every single day and then of course at the Super Bowl too we were there capturing you know video I also worked you know and we did those every single day and we had one that was the final one that was the Super Bowl and so that was cool there was one other fun story that we did when I worked in Phoenix I worked with an amazing friend co-worker Kathy Yancey and she talked about breaking barriers. She wanted to be a sports producer and that was unheard of. She was the first in the Phoenix market. She was a sports producer who worked with me at channel um, three in Phoenix, Arizona. And then she went on to ESPN and then she went on, she ended up getting hired by the NFL. Kathy Yancey, my girlfriend is the vice president of broadcasting 
for the NFL. So she came in a week before and we followed her to be able to document the story of what she does. And then on Super Bowl Sunday, she took us up in her area to show us, you know, where she sits, what that room is like, the, you know, where they're monitoring (laughs) cameras. It was amazing. So to say that week was exciting and kind of overwhelming overwhelmingly <laughs> exciting it was just constant constant the busyness cool was thing. all worth it though right and again it's the passion like i i could see these stories and these videos in my head and then a month after that taylor swift kicked off her eras tour at state farm stadium in november when all of her tickets sold out november of you know that would have been in like one minute or- in one minute her tickets sold out and broke records for State Farm Stadium and selling out two, you know, two shows fully sold out. That was unheard of. That was a record. And so I had interviewed her when she was 16. When I was a journalist, I had interviewed Taylor Swift and spent time with her. And I had remembered the impact of her fans and just, I knew that we needed to do something. <laughs> And so I asked my boss, I, I made a plan and I asked my boss and I said, you know, we, um, could we change the name of the city? <laughs> it, at the, it's the very first day. It's the kickoff. She's a big deal. Could we do like a ceremonial or symbolic name change of the city to a different name and have the mayor read a proclamation and could the name be Swift City? And he said, oh, you know, um, let's talk about this after the Super Bowl. So <laughs> I had to wait because we were all busy. We were day and night busy. That was November. So the Super Bowl passed and I went back and I said, okay, can we talk about changing the name of the city? And like me doing a press conference, I was hoping that I could get, you know, a couple of morning shows there and maybe uh, for the Arizona Republic newspaper, there's an amazing, amazing music writer. I was hoping to get him and a couple of the morning shows. And I said, if, if we can do this, like have the mayor proclaim it as Swift City for the two days to, you know, and bejewel the city and, and like make a big deal about this being the kickoff. Uh, I think we're going to have a successful press conference. And I know I had a whole list of things that I wanted to do. And then I partnered with my um, counterpart at the stadium, who's their marketing person and met with her and told her the idea. And she was able to get the idea to Taylor's team and her publicist Mm. and said, you know, because I wanted to, it was so unheard of at the time to do something like that. I wanted to make sure that, you know, this wasn't an odd idea that this was a, you know, so her publicist gave us the the okay to use the <laughs> colors and the imaging, oh. which then for my press conference, we were able to legitimately have, you know, her heiress tour high quality. Like we weren't grabbing images off of the internet. We had the high quality. And so we made big signs that said Swift City, you know, Taylor Swift bejewels, you know, Glendale, Arizona and State Farm Stadium by kicking her tour off. And it said Swift City and it had her image. And we put out the media advisory, which is what you do before, you know, just to let the media know, hey, come to our, and we have a roof deck there where you can see the stadium and it's a perfect backdrop for the media. So I had balloons and and all the decor and the big signs and my team, you know, helped enormously with this. While I may have been the, you know, the mastermind with the idea, you know, it really takes a team to a great, great team that is willing to lean into an unusual idea. So we, <laughs> one of our videographers and I put together the media advisory and wrote it all in swift um, <laughs> lyrics. And we said Glendale to rename itself and you know, we're, that we're going to do something highly unusual. And we used all swift. We, you had a Taylor lot of fun swift with that. Lyrics. Yes. In that the minute we sent that to newsroom, we're a government entity. You know, we're opening landfills and holding city council meetings. You know, the minute we sent that to the news media, they were looking for something to cover that would be fun. 
they all RSVP will be there, will be there. The whole deck was full. And then they started going live and nationally. So it, we were able to keep the actual name quiet. It, we built suspense as to what the name would be. And then um, anyway, long story short, that day was, it was beyond my wildest dreams to tell you the truth, because all of a sudden after the press conference, Billboard magazine picked it up, Rolling Mm. Stone picked it up. It went viral. What we did went viral and in a positive way Mm -hmm. for the city. So that was, that was really fun. Very unheard of, yeah, as yes. a public entity. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then other cities along her other stops, you know, did fun things too. They, they were the copycats. Like we yes, we were the trendsetters. <laughs> Segways a little bit into my question about, was there a favorite story that you covered when you were a reporter? Well, one that stands out was there was someone who had suggested that we try to do something about the importance of organ donation. This sounds really odd, right? But the importance of organ donation was what had been suggested. And so this was when I was in Phoenix and they, and they, they thought, well, what if we do something on organ donation? And what if we were able, when we have teams of doctors, there are teams of doctors who come in and when there's an organ donor, They'll come from all over the country and they'll be saving people's lives with organs. Again, this is an odd subject. This was not in the time of cell phones. So they gave me a pager and my <laughs> videographer a pager. And there was a young man who died in a car accident. And so our pagers went off and I went down to the hospital and so did he. And we were able to capture these teams of doctors coming from all over the country And the heart was going to a man who was dying in Birmingham, Alabama. Mm. And the team of doctors, and they do come in with a cooler, had the heart and they said, do you want to go with us? So we said, sure. So we got on the plane with the heart and the doctors. We went to Birmingham, Alabama. And then when we got there, I don't think this would happen in today's day and age, but when we got there, they said, do you want to come in with us? And we went in. We did not videotape, obviously, but they said, do you just want to see what this is? And um, we stood there when the man who was dying got his new heart. And then I said, do you think that the gentleman getting the heart would be uh, able to speak with us tomorrow? And they said, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. So, you know, the doctors or the hospital arranged for rooms for us. We spent the night and the next, next day, lo and behold, we went back to the hospital and the man did an interview with me. Mm. So yeah, watching that. You like, don't forget we, about that. You yeah. don't forget about that. But there are so many people's stories and they share their life stories and they share their hopes and they share their dreams. And one thing I did tell the students was um, when I spent the time with Taylor Swift, she was 16, and she had, you know, all the time in the world to spend with me. This would not be, again, this would not be the case now. But she told me her hopes and her dreams and how she loved songwriting, and she was proud that she played the guitar. So while sometimes there is no one particular story that has an impact in my mind, the movie runs through my mind of all of the people who were comfortable enough or or wanted to share insight into what their hopes were or their dreams were. And sometimes you're with people on their worst days, and sometimes you're with people on their very best days, and sometimes they're just helping you sort out facts of, of something. But there are so many. So I'd like to end with... You talking a little bit about being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Do you remember where you were at when you found out that you were going to be inducted into Central's Hall of Fame? What what was going through your mind? What what thoughts were you thinking of at that time? Oh, sure. I um, saw a. I live in the Phoenix, Arizona area, and um, four eight zero and area code. And on my phone, I saw a call from a. You know, from is it four zero two? Is that okay? Absolutely. All right. 
So I thought, oh, that you know, this is a spam call. I'm not going to pick up. <laughs> it went to voicemail, and it was Gary Willis, who is, you know, I think he's a volunteer. He's part of your foundation. And he left the voice message, so I listened to the voice message and then called him back. And so that's how, that, that's how I learned. And then, um, I, I mean, the foundation is absolutely incredible and so classy in absolutely everything they do. And then um, Michelle Roberts had a very beautiful letter and she hand wrote something in purple ink on it, you know, congratulations. So getting that follow-up letter and having it, it written out, this is going to be an event. We have this, we'd like you to speak to the students, all, everything that was planned. I realized this is a, a really well thought out. These people care a lot. And I'm, I'm so honored. This is a big deal. It's a big deal to me. The plaques are beautiful. Listening to the other speakers, we all ended up doing such different things. We really did. And um, we have the one thing that binds us, and that that is Central High School. It's the high school that made all the difference. It, it's the high school that started started things for us. And the students that were our ambassadors were so impressive at the event and I look at them and I I think wow they're so they're so articulate and they're so confident and I'm so 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 proud to say that you know I went to Central High School it's such a wonderful school and I appreciate even having the opportunity to tell you anything about my life or career well, Sue, I appreciate you making the time. It's a tight schedule having you back in Omaha, so I appreciate you making the time to talk with us. Any further final comments you'd like to share? I appreciate the time with you and meeting you as well. Thank you very much. Once again, I want to extend a big thank you to today's guest, 1974 alumna Sue Bredding. We hope you enjoyed episode 16 of Eagle Tales. We would love to hear what you thought of this episode by connecting with us on our social media. You can find us on Facebook, X, formerly Twitter, and Instagram by searching for the Central High School Foundation. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts so you can be notified of new episodes when they are released. A complete library of previous episodes can also be found on our website at chsfomaha.org. And remember, near or far, you are always part of the Central High School family. Go Eagles! Go Eagles! <laughs>